Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Coming to you from our respective bunkers. You know, it occurs to me that in the pandemic, you know, everybody's uh, all the public radio, the hosts are in their homes and you hear their kids come in and stuff. Mm -hmm. For us, this is what we've been doing. We've been doing this for 10 years, 12, 13, 14 years now. Yeah, vlogger. Yeah, 15 years. It's crazy. (laughs) Uh, I've been laughing at people like Seth Meyers and and Stephen Colbert figuring out how to record at home. You know, I have friends who are YouTubers who are like, I've been doing that for years. These guys don't know what they're doing. I know. It's true. (laughs) It's true. Yep. You want help figuring out how to make a uh, second-class home-based podcast? Talk to me. There you go. Well, we've got yeah. it geared up for video these days. Your 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 vMix stuff is pretty cool. It is cool, yeah. And we're going to be – this is a great time to announce it. We're going to be doing uh, some of our shows live-streamed on video only for our Patreons. And I, are we so, going to start with show 1700? I think we're going to start with show 1700. Yes. So if you want to, which is just going to be a gab fest. Oh, yeah. Right? This is going to be a boondog is what it's going to be because everybody's signed on now, right? Kathleen Dollard, Michelle Bustamante, Tim Huckabee, Rocky Laka, Billy Hollis, and Phil Hack. So we basically took the six top guests in order of how many appearances there yes. are. And some were tied, so we picked one over the other or whatever. And, yeah. you know, so we basically got our our top guest list. And we're just going to hang out. So, if you want to be in on that before it comes out and you want to watch it live, you just need to go to patreon.netrocks.com and uh, sign up to be a patron. So, uh, I have a story for Better Know Framework. So, let's roll the music. <laughs> All right, man, what do you got? All right, so it starts with my interest in audio over web or yes. over internet, which I've been interested in a long years. time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> do you remember audio something X that we used, audio TX or something? Oh, man. That we tried using back in the day and it worked. And I- Yeah, yeah. I, I remember trying to connect to, the, to you and Rory. That's how long ago we're talking. Right. When uh, I was in like Malaysia. Yep. Trying to make all that yep. stuff work. All right. So there's a progression here. So it starts with that. And I essentially looked around and the the, the web audio API is pretty mature and pretty robust right now. Mm-hmm. So I decided to do a uh, Blazor component that wraps the JavaScript to do this. And I was successful at it. I basically mm-hmm. created something where you can select your device and your uh, sample rate and how many channels and all that. And you just start recording and then you get an event that gives you buffers. And then with those buffers, you can do whatever you want. Right. So then I did it the other way around. Um, you, you open a play, a playback device and you stuff buffers into it and it goes into a queue. So you don't have to worry about timing you just keep stuff in buffers, and then after a certain amount of latency, which you can set, you start playing, and it starts playing those buffers back. So, it's kind of cool. Right. And then I thought about, do you remember, <laughs> this is really funny, and I don't want to mention the guy's name, but a prominent rock star, and let's just say if I mentioned his name, everyone would know Kyle. who he is. Apple's got don't, some software. Don't give it away. <laughs> don't give it away. 
So this guy called me because his webmaster was a listener of .NET Rocks. Yeah, right. Yeah, and he wanted to do some real-time jamming over the internet, but this was between California and England. Right. And I was like, there's no way. the speed of light is tough to beat. (laughs) Yeah, so I said, now when you say real-time jamming, do you mean one, two, three, go, and we both hear each other and play with each other? And he says, yes. Impossible, I said. Because of the speed of light, yeah, it's a bitch. It's... It's the law. It's not mm-hmm. only a good idea. Yeah, there's things you can defeat, and the and the speed of light is not one of them. Right, and even if you were operating at the speed of light, there'd still be latency because you have to turn those that light into bits, and you have yeah. to get it. You know, first it's, it's, it's be a, a couple of hundred milliseconds, one way or the other, even in, in the best of circumstances. That's right. So real time for between two people. Hell, it's it's difficult in a lot in a big room. Yeah, sure. If you're playing a guitar in one end of the room and I'm playing fiddle in the other end of the room, we're not going to be in sync. Yeah, and you real and you realize that you know in any typical song, like a couple of hundred milliseconds, a quarter of a second off is a beat, and you're not in the groove anymore. You're yeah. not in the pocket. No yeah, way yeah. are you going to be in the pocket. It's possible. So it's. It's fine for stuff like we're using right now, Zencaster, right? Because mm-hmm. we're talking. And if you're 100 milliseconds off, it doesn't matter, right? But music, it's... Yeah, absolutely. Because we are we are spacing between each other, right? That We're not trying to speak at the same time. We're not trying to, to be on the beat. Right. But if we all tried to sing happy birthday right now, it would sound like a disaster. A, a little messy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So there's the, the I am getting to the Better No Framework because I do have a product. But first, I want to talk about my idea that has been brewing ever since that conversation back in 2003, 2004, whatever it was. Um, and that is to sort of do a delayed round robin approach to it. So mm-hmm. let's say you, you're a producer. And you've got a guitar player and a bass player and a drummer and a singer, and they're all in different places. Um, me as the producer, I could send out a click track, right? right? One, two, three, four. And then the guitar player hears that. As soon as he hears it, he will, st- and only the guitar player hears it, he will start playing guitar to the click. Now, somehow that gets synchronized and mixed, and that mix goes to the next person, the bass player. So the bass player hears the click and the guitar player mixed, synchronized, but definitely not real time. No, he's going to be, you know, a second or so behind. Right, a second or so, but it doesn't matter because he's hearing it and he's playing in time. Right, so he's actually in time. Right, each one of these tracks is being saved individually, by the way, so that's Mm -hmm. important to know. Yeah. So then that mix gets sent on to the drummer. So now the drummer can play in time with the guitar and the bass that are in time and the click. And then that all gets sent on a few seconds later to the singer. And then all of it comes back to the producer. So the producer can actually hear the whole band playing at the same time. Maybe it's 10 seconds before he started the click, whatever. It doesn't matter. He can hear that. And then it's immediately available after the record. Anybody can pull the trigger and say, stop. I messed up, and then the producer starts it again, and then afterwards, the producer can play the whole track, and everybody can listen and say, you know, that's pretty good, but maybe we'll do another take. So, this is possible. It can work. Mm -hmm. So, I basically put out a Facebook post to my friends in the local music community. I said, hey, would you use this? 
And a bunch of people said, oh, there's already stuff out there that kind of does this, like Jammer, J-A-M-M-R, and there's a couple others, and people were having various levels of success with these. Not really. And then I posted it to, uh, oh, no, I saw uh, uh, Mateus Carvalho, one of my AppVNXers who now works at uh, Microsoft. We have a Slack channel, and he says, dude, you got to check this out. This is what the studios are using. So it's Unity Intercom or Unity Connect actually mm-hmm. is the product. And I'll add a link to it. Uh, if you go to, because this is show, what is this? 1697. Show 1697. So if you go to 1697.plop.me, that'll take you to this product called Unity Intercom. Now it's not free and it's for a Mac, but the whole idea is to give you 64 audio streams that can be sent and received 64 sent 64 received all at the same time across the internet at low latency and broadcast ready quality 48k whatever so so you have it's not a device but you have a dedicated mac and then you can connect it to other unity connects by ip address and port and essentially, you can see the levels. So just watch the video. It's fascinating. You can see the levels and you can record them. But it is going to be an input, but it isn't going to be like you can send a click to Studio B and Studio B hears the click and plays along to it. And then it comes back at the click. Like you do have latency. Sure. If you wait long enough and get everybody who, with various states of latency, you should be able to compose together a click synced track right it's not the same as the situation that i'm describing where it's particular for music um but this just allows you to transfer and record multiple tracks of audio right from studio to studio it wouldn't necessarily be something that joe musician buys because you know it's 600 bucks for a sure for a license yeah yeah it's a studio buy not a not a musician studio buy. buy yeah but it is really fascinating and so that's the end of the story. But the Blazor component that I wrote, I'm going to make available either on GitHub or maybe talk to Dev Express about it. I don't know. But it's going to be out there in the community. It's going to be free. Cool. And the uh, app that I was considering writing, I'm sort of not working on that anymore because there are these other options out there. But if if you are one of these people that has tried all these things and it doesn't work and what I'm describing sounds interesting to you, you know, maybe I'll start an open source project for it. All right. So that's what I got. I know it's long, but uh, yeah. it was a fun ride. <laughs> yeah, it opens the door to this. I, I mean, what's interesting about this is the musicians wouldn't have the normal experience. They would be each playing effectively in isolation. Right. But you right. could compose a near real time stream of a set of musicians playing a song in time. Right. You know, several seconds behind them actually playing it. And each one of them in slightly different number of seconds, which is insane. But yes. you could compose it together. Now, the problem would be if you want to have video of all of those people at the same time. Yeah. And get those problem. in sync, you have the same problem. Yeah. But they can't see each other. Because they'll be so far out of sync. They certainly can't hear each other because that'll make them even crazier. They even can't really hear themselves per se, right? They can't hear what they're recorded um, because it's all out of time. But you could make it happen. 
Yeah, and it is sort of a staggered thing. Like, yeah. the first person has to just establish the song. So, usually that's the rhythm guitar player or something like that, if right. it's indeed, you know, rhythmic. <laughs> All right. Fun stuff. Yeah, interesting. Who's talking to us, my friend? Grab your comment top of 1672, show we did back in January of 2020, you know, back when the world was the world. <laughs> I mean, I just had this vision, you know, it was 2020, right? We yeah. were going to make shows about the new decade. Yeah, and right. So, I, I tapped Brian Lagunas to say, hey, look, we should be talking about client-side development. Clearly, there's a push internal to Microsoft and they try and like, well, we should be building more client stuff. Like, what's wrong with it? How can we make it work better? I was very happy with that show. I mean, we've been completely derailed from that subject area for various reasons. But, yep. you know, that that was the subject area. And uh, John Suda, who's a longtime listener, uh, had this comment. He says, as another old fart, albeit maybe not as old as some. Uh, who has a background in desktop application development, I can certainly relate to the unease associated with the switch to web apps. I have built quite a few of them using a number of different frameworks, and although I now feel reasonably proficient, and I appreciate when someone with substantial experience just sort of recognizes, yeah, I know how to do stuff, but I also know that I'm at different skill levels and different tools, right? Right. It can still feel like I'm speaking a second or third language. Every time I get to doing something in, say, WPF, I get reminded about how much more fluent I am in that space. And I do keep asking myself and others, one question though, to what extent is JavaScript the source of our discomfort and to what extent is it HTML, CSS and the uh, DOM? It's the DOM. <laughs> yeah. And I, here's why I read this comment today. In other words, did we love Silverlight because of C Sharp or was it partly or mostly because of the XAML and the presentation layer? I think that even though I still prefer C-sharp, I find JavaScript with tooling and possibly TypeScript tolerable. I suspect yeah. it's usually HTML and CSS that truly drive me nuts. Consequently, am I in for a partial disappointment with Blazor? To my point, the other frameworks that have tried to bring web development closer to desktop development, web forms, tried to abstract away so much, not so much from JavaScript, but precisely HTML and CSS. Just yeah. wondering. It's a great thought, right? And and really, we we remember Rocky Laka when Silverlight was for was still WPFE, and right. we were complaining yeah. about the tooling, and really complaining about WPF because it was so new and so tough. And he said the reason WPFE is succeeding where WPF is not is because web developers are used to lousy tools. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah. Well, and it was just that, you know, your development patterns matter a lot in how well you can embrace a given framework or a given mm. UI approach. So it is uh, with, you know, good thoughts around John here that it depends on where you come from as to what's hard, what's easy, what, what you enjoy, what you don't. And coming from a desktop perspective where you're used to pixel perfect and, you know, pretty rigorous controls around the UI uh, mm -hmm. It's very challenging to live in the web world while well, all that stuff is so much more transient. Anyway, it, it does bring around this you know, other client-side technologies, and uh, and I appreciate the thought. Definitely. So, John, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code Buy is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code Buy, write a comment on the website at donnetrocks.com or on the Facebooks because I publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, We'll send you a copy of Music to Code Buy. And you should definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. 
but make sure to set the latency to about 120 milliseconds just to be safe. Nice. Just to be safe. That's you just being an <laughs> that that's strictly a, a LA to New York latency. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's bring on our, our guest. I can, I'm very excited about this, Richard. I don't know if you are, but you've I been mean, asking me for the show for a while, friend. So yeah, uh, we, we got it. And and the comment was germane uh, to what we're talking about. So mm-hmm. let's introduce Giovanni. Giovanni Albani is a software engineer and entrepreneur based in Paris. He's the founder and CEO of Userware an ISV specializing in Microsoft technologies. Giovanni's passion for building developer tools started as a teenager when he created Adventure Maker. I, you know, I think I used that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a game engine, very popular, used by more than 300,000 developers. And Giovanni founded Userware after leaving Microsoft uh, in 2007 and has continued to release top-selling .NET apps and tools including XLS Editor, a number one ranked productivity app in the Windows Store for over a year. I'm including Adventure Maker in the show links, just so you know. Because the website's still up, you know, it's still there. If you haven't ever played with this, you need to play with this. It's awesome. If I recall, it was a whole lot of fun. Uh, Giovanni's current focus is on Open Silver, an open source replacement for Silverlight. Giovanni holds a dual master's degree in computer science from Georgia Tech and Suplec. He can be reached at Giovanni at OpenSilver.net. Wow. What can I say? This is going to be a whole lot of fun. Welcome, Giovanni. Hello. Hello, Richard. Hello, Carl. Thanks a lot for having me here. And uh, congratulations for this show, which is amazing. I mean, you have been able for many years to uh, deliver this show. um, And uh, we can listen to it while commuting. And it's dedicated to .NET, and it's really unique. So uh, congratulations. Yeah, very cool. Speaking of commuting, I'm going to start off with a little story. Um, About an hour ago, uh, my wife Kelly and I took a ride down to uh, drop off her car to get some body work or something, and she and I said, "Yeah, I'm really excited about today's show. It's about uh, uh, an oh, this Silverlight thing for Blazer." And she goes, "I thought Silverlight was dead." Why did she know that? <laughs> I know she's not even a programmer. No. But then, it does bring me to another thing that I want to start a YouTube uh, show with her called Teaching Kelly How to Program. Oh, my goodness. All right. That's all I'm going to say. You're going to leave it there. Hy- okay. Hysterical. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, my goodness. So, she goes, I thought Silverlight was dead. I said, well, this is a way that people can take their existing Silverlight apps and run them in Blazor. And she goes, oh, yeah, that makes sense. So, let's talk about Open Silver. Giovanni, yeah. where did you get the idea? Yeah, um, just a little digression because at the beginning you had the story about musicians playing together remotely and uh, I must comment on this because um, it's funny that uh, it's just, that's I think a lot of people have been thinking of doing some technology like this and my mm. brother's just launching it um, because his passion is salsa dancing and with the uh, with the lockdown he had this challenge of practicing and performing as a group and so mm-hmm. uh, he also built a tool to to help uh, groups sing and play music and dance during the lockdown and that's exactly what he described so it's it's very funny <laughs> that is really cool yeah so yeah this uh, round robin kind of idea is uh, it has legs i think yeah, yeah. latency I- compensators 
Yeah, and the, yeah. the way it works is, as you described, there's this leader who records the seed performance, then he shares it, and then a second performer plays along with the leader, and they both can immediately uh, see the combined re result. And then the third one sings along and stuff like that, and everything gets combined. Uh, and yeah, you, you can try it. It's on perform.video. And it's funny that because it's totally unexpected that you mentioned this topic. Well, my brother is, has just launched that and performed that. That is video, so, so cool. <laughs> so it's perform.video. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's funny. It's he's launching during it now. lockdown. I love it. All right. Add it to the show notes. This is not the show, <laughs> show I expected to be. Yeah. Back oh, to, my uh, God. Back to Open Silver. <laughs> yeah. No, wait, wait. I'm still blown away here. Yeah, look at this. <laughs> Yeah, so um, OpenSilver, um, they uh, yeah they said Silverlight uh, is dead, and uh, we we say it's not actually. Uh, we say um, with WebAssembly, it's a new beginning for Silverlight, and uh, we want to uh, uh, we we think it was a great technology, and we want to make it even better um, in in so many ways. And so uh, I, we we want to the Silverlight story to to be uh, still written today. Cool. So you're just going for it. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, you know, when, uh, when Civilite was created, you mentioned just a few minutes ago about, mm -hmm. uh, his initial name was WPFE, uh, yes. because, um, in, uh, 2000, 2006, WPF was just launched and uh, it was amazing with this vector based graphics and, um, XAML syntax where you could combine controls and have control templates and stuff like that, which was really unprecedented. And, uh, the Microsoft team did an amazing job, um, trying to shrink the WPF into a very small runtime. And I remember Remember, the .NET framework was 200 megs approximately at the time, and the Civilite runtime was 9 megs, and they were able to uh, take the best of WPF and put it on the web, and it was cross-platform. Uh, it worked on uh, Windows, Mac, um, and uh, it was really great. You had 3D, and you, you still have it. Um, you, you still have some demos online where you can see uh, some amazing stuff in it. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and so uh, it didn't die because it was a bad technology. It really died no. um, because the plugin system um, died, and it was no longer possible to, to install right. it again. Were you um, using so Silverlight back in the day? Were you doing development with it then? Yeah, yeah. I, I used it a lot. I was uh, in, at Microsoft in 2006, and uh, um, I really discovered Covered the technology there and uh, made a lot of prototypes at the time, and then mm -hmm. uh, I, I kept creating apps with it. And then, um, yeah, it was a time when Microsoft talked a lot about it. All the all the um, um, the keynotes were about Civilite, and then uh, suddenly it was like the taboo topic. Right? And, um, were you in Microsoft? I, yeah. That was 2010, right? Uh, were you still at Microsoft then? No, no, I wasn't uh, at Microsoft then, uh, but I kept creating Civilite apps. Right. Yeah, and um, and so then we were uh, left with uh, JavaScript, basically. Um, well, yeah. your, I want to hear your version of how you saw Silverlight die, right? I mean, certainly I've been working on the history of .NET for forever, but uh, but it's always interesting for folks that were there or, you know, mm -hmm. we yeah, saw yeah. one version. What did you see happen in 2010? Yeah, um, uh, with the mobile uh, phones uh, spreading and uh, tablets, um, there was this um, also issue with Flash, which also uh, which was um, yeah, even more uh, more popular, and uh, yeah. I would say by far. And um, and so uh, Flash also had this issue of uh, being able to run, for example, on iPhones, which were launched in two thousand and seven. And so uh, there was also always this uh, confrontation between um, Apple and uh, Adobe, where uh, at 
at some right. point, uh, Steve Jobs uh, published an open letter, which uh, it's still possible to find on, on the internet, uh, yeah. where it says the reasons Thoughts why... Uh, flash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he said why uh, there would never be a flash on, on an iPhone. And so from there, um, it was a real problem for uh, those technologies. And then the browsers also on desktop started to uh, to drop support for uh, for plugins. And so we were left in an yeah. era uh, of um, JavaScript as the only choice. And, to, and today with WebAssembly, which has now become standard in all major browsers. Chrome well, there's another thing products. that happened. Yeah. And I, I want to mention this before we move on, that yeah. there was another Another plugin that was very popular that a lot of people were banking on, and that's Java. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it was a big deal that pl- and and I would say Adobe's uh, refusal or impartiality to making Flash more secure, you know, was was a big problem. And Flash became a huge vector for malware. But it was really the plugin model itself that allowed all of that stuff to happen, wasn't it? Yeah, so um, indeed, uh, there were security considerations with the plugin model. Um, And uh, those uh, issues are no longer uh, here with WebAssembly um, because it's in the sandbox. Yeah, so I like to say it's it's a good thing that the plugin model went away because it wasn't secure. And Silverlight was just a casualty of that. Okay, now yeah. on to WebAssembly. Yeah, now we can have the best of both worlds because we can have right. the power of um, uh, the native execution because WebAssembly is, is binary code, so it's um, native performance. People who compare C uh, code native and C uh, compiled to WebAssembly uh, find that mm. it's similar performance. So we have uh, native performance, but we are inside the browser sandbox. So from a security point of view, it's great. And uh, it's cross-platform. Um, you don't have to install a plugin. So it's really, it's really great. And it's, now it's the perfect time to, uh, for Civilite um, or a similar technology to, to come back and uh, to uh, relieve all the um, many uh, hundreds of thousands of .NET developers who uh, have been left with uh, JavaScript as the only choice. JavaScript and HTML, CSS, as you mentioned. And not only that, but left with lots and lots of abandoned projects. Um, I know companies that spent millions of dollars on Silverlight projects that they just had to simply abandon. Right. Uh, we have been contacted with, by a, a lot of people. Like I was looking at this yesterday and we have more than 300 people who have uh, registered for uh, migrating an app that they have. And um, yeah, yeah we are migrating apps that are uh, huge. Like I, I've never seen apps that big before. Um, we, we are seeing a lot of requests for migrations and like we are migrating one that is uh, several hundred thousand lines with the code analytics and the code analytics in Visual Studio uh, where you code metrics it doesn't count the empty lines it doesn't count the lines that only have one curly brace and stuff like that mm-hmm. so uh, if you really count the, the real number of lines also including XAML which is not counted there uh, neither uh, you, you really end up with maybe one million lines of like that wow. so uh, wow. yeah many many years of investment um, and, and then of course they don't want to, to rewrite, rewrite everything no yeah. no it makes no sense so you you've got you so it's because you've said that you're doing these migrations that leads me to believe that uh open silver by itself isn't going to allow you to just drop your um silverlight applications into open silver and expect it to run is that 
right? Yeah, uh, exactly. So you you drop your SQLite code in a project of type OpenSilver, and then you compile. And uh, if you uh, if you use only uh, compatible features, um, it will run right away. Um, it right. will run in WebAssembly directly, and you can publish it right away. Uh, but um, what happens with those very uh, big projects, as I mentioned, is that they often use third-party libraries um, yeah, or right. uh, very specific features. And uh, in those cases, they have uh, many choices. Either they uh, work around those features by uh, writing alternative C-sharp XAML code, or they can use a .NET uh, standard library because OpenSilver supports .NET standard. Right. Um, so they can. Uh, so any library, you don't need the source code. You can just reference an assembly that's compatible with .NET standard, and it will work in the browser. Um, or they can use an equivalent JavaScript-based library. And that's um, when I, I mentioned earlier that we want to make Civilite even greater than it was. And the way we do this is um, because we're rendering uh, in HTML. So uh, you write in XAML, and then um, the XAML is converted into HTML. So you don't have to write HTML. It's all done um, in the underlying layers. But because it's rendered in HTML, and this allows for very fast layout performance, by the way, because browsers are optimized for rendering uh, and doing layout calculation in HTML. Um, so because of that, you can use uh, existing JavaScript components. You can use existing JavaScript libraries. So let's say, for example, you have a feature that is missing in OpenSilver, like uh, the ability to display a spreadsheet control. Uh, mm. What do you do? You go take um, uh, something from Kendo UI or Syncfusion Essential Studio or mm -hmm. DevExtreme or Component One or whatever uh, for JavaScript. You take that library, you just reference it. it. You add, you add just um, HTML presenter control. So HTML presenter is uh, an additional XAML control. So that one is specific to OpenSilver. And uh, it, it's a control that allows you to put HTML code inside your XAML. So you rarely need to do that. But for, nice. for specific cases, you just put this control, you put the couple lines of HTML that display the spreadsheet, for example, and then you have, you have it. You have the, um, you have the, the spreadsheet that appears on the screen in the middle of your XAML. Wow. Hey, this is amazing. I want to talk some more about it, but if you can just hold that thought for a minute while we take a moment for this very important message. Hey, do you remember that time you were searching Google for sheep and olive oil and you got that sinking feeling that if anyone could see your search, they might completely get the wrong idea? Do you remember the Facebook ads? Yikes. <laughs> well, you might be thinking, why not just use incognito mode? Well, let me tell you something. Incognito mode doesn't hide your activity. It doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browsing history. Your internet service provider can see every single website you've ever visited. That's why, even when I'm at home, I never go online without using ExpressVPN. It doesn't matter if you get your internet from Verizon, Comcast, or a local provider. ISPs in the U.S. can legally sell your information to ad companies. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your ISP can't see the sites you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. And most of the time, I don't even realize I have ExpressVPN on. It runs seamlessly in the background, and it's really easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button, and you're protected. ExpressVPN is available on all your devices, phones, computers, even your smart TV. So there's no excuse for you not to be using it. So 
Protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by CNET and Wired. Visit our exclusive link, expressvpn.com .net, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash D-O-T-N-E-T. All right, and we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. That's Richard Campbell over there. And uh, we're talking to Giovanni Albani about OpenSilver, a, uh, a way to migrate your Silverlight applications to WebAssembly. So my, yeah, no, migrate my next, and create new apps. Yeah, <laughs> and create new Silverlight <laughs> apps, right. And you bring up this really powerful point about the size of the ecosystem that existed around Silverlight back in 2010, you know, back in that heyday that people have got, had a huge investment in libraries and tooling to build serverless stuff. So any existing you know, large scale application is going to have a lot of dependencies on those things. I, I kind of think that the Telerix and so forth, the world are still maintaining those libraries to some degree. Right. Right. Um, so open silver is all about uh, leveraging this, existing ecosystem because mm -hmm. Civilite is uh, very well uh, documented. The documentation, of course, is uh, official one is still online. There's a lot of tutorials, materials everywhere. And so uh, people don't have to learn something new, don't have to use a technology that um, is new and poorly documented. It's it's there. There are a lot of snippets of code to use. And um, also a large ecosystem of components, as you, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I got to ask the question, are you running on top of Blazor or right on to WebAssembly? We are running on top of Blazor. So um, we uh, think that Blazor is an amazing technology and um, it's um, it's using uh, HTML, CSS, as you know. So on yeah. top of Blazor, we have built the XAML stack um, and we have been working on this uh, since 2014, so six years now. Yeah. Um, and the, the stack does um, a translation between XAML and HTML. So, for example, if you have a text box control, it will uh, become an input uh, text. Um, and uh, if you have a web uh, uh, web view control, web browser control, Civilite, it will simply become an iframe, for example. Yeah, that's um, very cool. Yeah, stuff like that. So the next question is, now I remember in Silverlight, I could create a uh, a standalone kind of application that would look like a Windows app on Windows out and of a browser. Mac app. And, yeah, out of browser application. Is there support for that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the idea is uh, with OpenSilver, you, uh, you are creating a WebAssembly app, and then the WebAssembly app, you can uh, deploy it on... Uh, um, on the App Store, on Google Play, on everywhere, um, like uh, with, with the web view, like uh, most um, app of, apps of this, of this kind. And deploy to Mac, deploy to Linux? Yeah, so uh, because it's a web app, it's standalone, mm -hmm. it's client-side, um, it's self-sufficient, self-contained, so you can uh, wrap it into any container you want, uh, Electron.js or many others, and uh, deploy it on, on any any platform. So if one day there is a new uh, platform that comes out, I don't know, augmented reality or what else, um, right. yeah, you don't need to have a, um, a renderer for that or uh, something specific for that. You just take your app and uh, package it is that an executable for that platform and it will work because it's standard based is web standard based so it will work everywhere wow so this is amazing um there i do remember building apps in silverlight that had ties to specific windows libraries or windows things 
Uh, if I'm remembering correctly, I could do that. And of course, it wasn't going to run on a Mac or a Linux, but but because it was so easy to deploy, that's why I chose to use Silverlight for these little apps that I would write for, you know, uh, my wife or my friends or or just us. Like Richard, I wrote I don't know how many times I wrote the file uploader, but one a of bunch. them was a Silverlight uh, implementation. Right. Right. So um, with Civilite, you could uh, go outside the, the browser sandbox. Um, yeah. So especially if you had elevated privileges, um, so you could communicate with uh, installed applications like Microsoft Office um, and do a bunch of stuff like interacting with the local file system. So because of the security restrictions, um, by default, this is not possible with OpenSilver. Nor should it be. Yeah, that, that's a good question because um, if, if you want to interact with Windows-only stuff, um, you, you may as well use maybe like WPF, for example. Um, as I mentioned, Civilite is a subset of WPF and people who have migrated from Civilite to WPF know that it's uh, relatively easy because it's a subset. And um, and so you may want to, to migrate to WPF if your intent is to uh, use only on, on, on Windows. But if you want to go across platform, uh, run inside the browser without installation, uh, run on mobile as well, possibly, um, you uh, you better stick to, to the browser security restrictions. It is interesting, though, that um, people like me were using Silverlight not because of, you know, because we wanted the world to use it on different platforms, but because it was so easy to deploy. Yeah. And I, would, I was even writing things that I would have written as WPF or Windows Forms apps, in Silverlight, just because it was so dang easy to deploy yeah. them again. So, you know, yeah. I, I guess uh, there's a lot of people out there who, like me, use Silverlight for that reason. Yeah, true. It was uh, really easy. You installed the, the plugin once, and um, and then you can you could deploy apps uh, without any installation, without any effort. And so with WebAssembly, that is, of course, even better because you don't even have to install the plugin. It works right, right away. Mm-hmm. The challenge I've got to think is the footprint of your, your XAML renderer. Like we, we were already struggling with the size of Blazor, uh, on the client side. Are we? Are yeah, we really struggling with the size of Blazor? How big is it? It's two megabytes. Generation? Yeah. Yeah. WebAssembly, the, the, the basic footprint is two megabytes. Now, if you're in debug mode, the linker is turned off by default and you're going to get something like you know, six megabytes. But mm-hmm. if the linker is that's, on that's and, and you're in release mode, two megs. Yeah, that's uh, that's also the, the numbers I have. Um, there is a demo on the opensilver.net um, that is using um, a debug, debug configuration. So it's, um, yeah, it's a little bit bigger than that. But indeed, if you uh, use the latest version uh, of Blazor with the release um, configuration, it's going to be uh, that, that small, yeah. Well, and, and I, I mean, I wouldn't blink about this on an internal network, but it's a it's a non-trivial amount of stuff to haul across the internet. Do you use Gmail? No, five megabytes. Yeah, yeah, it's five a giant megabytes. Beast. That again, and I use I use Outlook, and goodness knows it's not small. But I don't try <laughs> and move that across the internet. Well, I use Gmail all the time, and I, it, it, the ten seconds or so it takes to come up, or it doesn't even take that long, isn't going to dissuade me from using Gmail. Yeah. So. 
But um, there's something important I'd like to stress here is that uh, with Civilite, you could really create huge apps, um, enterprise apps, for example, where uh, were made with Civilite. And, um, and for those kind of apps, um, you really um, uh, we really uh, benefit from the ability to reference the full uh, uh, .NET standard uh, ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, so even though uh, you have uh, a few megabytes uh, initial loading time, uh, those uh, assemblies get cached by the browser. So the next right. time you, you go there, you don't have to wait. And uh, it's very similar to Civilite where uh, you had this initial loading time the first time, but then you didn't have it. And it was uh, a, problem, a problem back then, actually. Yeah, and the bandwidths have only gotten better depending on where you are in the world, of course, in some places that they clearly haven't. Because the other thing that we, we just talked about was this fact that it's trivial to update the app. So there's a fairly good chance at any given time you're going to click on that, you are going to get a new version. You know, I think about building software in 2010, like we were struggling to do continuous deployment pipelines in 2010. Today, you probably wouldn't do it any other way. Yeah. And you think about how much better that pipeline is that literally someone complains about something, you, you get, you make the code modification. It goes through the test procedure and rolls out. It's like, okay, reload that app. There you are. Like the that's it's like website fast in terms of getting new features out. Yeah, right. Um, uh, yeah, that, uh, I totally agree. So where were you at? Like, if you're implementing your own XAML renderer to HTML, that's a big mm -hmm. bite. Holy man, that's a lot of code. Um, actually, uh, we only implemented the low-level controls. Um, okay. So, for example, the text box needs to be low-level. Um, I mentioned the, the web browser is an iframe. For example, the media element is another uh, example. And um, developers can see that uh, code in on GitHub. It's all open source. If, you, if they go to GitHub slash OpenSilver and go to the, the runtime, they can see the implementation of, uh, for example, the media element. And the implementation is quite simple. Actually, it's much, much um, a smaller code compared to uh, something uh, native um, because it's simply a, a line that says, okay, create a video tag in HTML mm -hmm. and then set right. the source. So you have the dependency properties so that all the data binding works and stuff like that. But then um, at, the, at the end, the, it's only setting the source in, the, in, a, in a video tag. So uh, it's pretty straightforward and it's only for the low level controls because all the other controls are, are, bit on, are built on top of that. Um, so with the content presenter uh, and content templating system, um, most of the controls don't need to be uh, native. Yeah. Nice. That's very cool. So they essentially become Blazor components, right? And uh, then they get referenced or um, cross-referenced by you? Um, no, actually, they uh, uh, they have, um, so for example, the media element class has a, a method that is specific to OpenSilver that is called create DOM element. Okay. And in that method, it will say uh, DOM uh, append uh, video tag and... Uh, and that's all. So um, we're not oh. relying on the Razor components. It's very so you're going right from C sharp. You're going right from XAML to uh, C sharp code. From C sharp code, you're dynamically creating elements with JavaScript. Right. Um, the first step uh, during the compilation is uh, transforming the XAML files into their equivalent C sharp. So, wow. for example, a uh, uh, button tag becomes uh, a var uh, button equals new button and stuff like that. And so uh, the XAML then disappears and it's all the pure C sharp code. And that and then during runtime, when you arrive, uh, when you put the button into the visual tree, uh, the create DOM element method uh, gets called and mm. uh, it renders in, uh, in, uh, in, in the DOM. Okay. So, I mean, the Blazor component model does a good job with eventing and binding and all of that stuff. 
How do you handle that without the component model? Yeah, um, so the goal here is to uh, replicate the Civilite API. So all the binding uh, works exactly the same as with wow. Civilite. And so uh, there is this uh, dependency uh, So you've property. written your own component model. Uh, no, we have, uh, uh, so as you know, the WPF is open source. So uh, initially we wrote our own a few years ago, then WPF became open source. So we started to uh, align oh, ourselves with the Microsoft code. And uh, and that's uh, for the benefit of everyone. OpenSilver is uh, MIT uh, licensed. So um, we also encourage other people to build on top of OpenSilver, of course. Okay, yeah. that is and, smart. Uh, <laughs> wow, very smart. <laughs> so it's not just like XAML to Blazor. It's, I mean, you're basically using the code from WPF, their whole binding in, mm-hmm. uh, infrastructure, yeah. all of that. Yeah, that is right. so smart. Yeah, because uh, Microsoft has done a tremendous job optimizing yeah. it. For, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, w- when we uh, started aligning with the Microsoft code, we, we could see a, a huge performance benefit. And uh, it's only the low-level stuff that is uh, rendered in with, with uh, HTML, but the rest is all uh, uh, standard uh, code. So the idea is to uh, arrive to a point where we have exact same behavior as in Civilite. Um, and then uh, that day we'll have Civilite running natively without plugin. And from there, uh, in parallel, we're building um, the, we're leveraging the huge JavaScript components ecosystem, as I mentioned. And sure. that's mm-hmm. something important yeah. because uh, a lot of people criticize uh, the JavaScript word, uh, but um, uh, almost everyone recognizes that the, the ecosystem is huge. And if, if you search for JavaScript libraries on the, on the internet, you, you really find, um, you find some repositories where you can, uh, oh, yeah. uh, you, you want to display something in 3D, for example, you use 3, uh, uh, 3.js and you ha- and have some uh, shaders with clothing, for example, and the gravity and physics and everything you want. So uh, what we want to do is uh, leverage all this huge eco- ecosystem uh, because we can do that because we are in, in the browser. So we are uh, um, we are browser based, and so we can uh, mix, as I said, HTML with with XAML. Yeah. And so we want to leverage this ecosystem to uh, to really uh, have a uh, um, something that goes even be beyond the I, initial I, promise of Civilite. I'm not so sure if I would call it an ecosystem as I would. Everybody and their brother has a JavaScript library, and if you want to find them, you got to do a lot of Google binging. (laughs) (laughs) There isn't a central repository for all of the JavaScript libraries. There's so many of them. And, you know, case in point, I was just, you know, working on the audio stuff, and I was trying to find a solution to a problem that I was having. Uh, And there's a million and one libraries out there that all are kind of what I wanted, but none of them actually did it. And so I had to pour through, and I'm I'm talking literally downloading, installing, testing, trying, you know, probably went through about 10 or 12 different libraries before I decided I should go back to sort of go back to the basics, to the standards, and then search for, you know, things on Stack Overflow where they've found solutions to limitations or lack of documentation or that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's a, it's, yeah. it's a daunting to right. try to get JavaScript solutions happening. Yeah. 
We want to address this uh, problem and uh, we have the ambition to uh, provide a gallery online. Um, it's already a little bit uh, there, the, the, the structure. Uh, if you go to opensilver.net and go to the showcase app, mm. um, there is a section third party libraries where you can uh, see uh, some, some of them. So we have for, for now we have some of from Kendo UI, Syncfusion and DevExtreme. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so the idea is in the future to have really thousands of libraries visible there yeah. with the code snippet um, example and C-sharp code snippet to, to use them directly without having to write JavaScript. And so uh, maybe one day you can go uh, to, to something like that, uh, look at all your audio libraries, try them live, and then when you find one that you like, um, uh, reference it from your project. That's very cool. Wow. <clears throat> and, I, and I see here you're basically saying, hey, send us your zap. We'll give you an estimate of what it's going to take to migrate it. Yeah, right. Um, we have an internal tool that is able to analyze a XAP file. So for mm-hmm. those who don't know, it's the executable uh, of a Civilite application. <laughs> you don't even have to send us the source code of your app for us to give you an estimate of the workload to migrate it. You just send right. us mm-hmm. the executable. Um, so of course, we can sign an NDA if you want, but it's the same executable that all the clients have. So in many cases, an NDA is not needed because the end users already have executable and so from there we can analyze the features that are supported and those that are not supported we can uh, create an excel document that we send to you uh, with the list of all the features that require attention um, so for example uh, let me uh, give you some examples um, in Civilite you have this um, save file dialog um, and the load open file dialog which of course are critical aspects of but as um, as you know, in the browser, uh, for example, when you save a file, it goes directly into the downloads folder. So depending mm-hmm. on the browser and the browser settings, you can display a dialog. But by default, for example, on Chrome, it goes to the downloads folder. And you don't have a way as a programmer inside the browser sandbox to override this behavior. And so um, this uh, feature will be in the Excel document that we sent to you because it's, it says basically, okay, this requires attention. So what we have been doing, for example, for the many apps that we have migrated is create a child window um, to replicate the dialogue functionality. So we create a child window, which is a window inside the Civilite app. And uh, in that window, the user can type the name, for example, and then uh, the user clicks save. And from there, uh, it goes into the downloads folder. So that's the right. kind of work that we do when we migrate an app. And it's the kind yeah. of stuff that is in the document. <laughs> but it also strikes me that this is how you stay in business, too. Because it's got to be companies out there. It's like, hey, we have this Silverlight app. I don't know if there's anybody left to work on it. Will you migrate it over to the, to the new platform for yeah. us? Yeah. So that's our business model. Because yeah. OpenSilver is totally open source. And we, yeah. we believe that it must be open source because we really want to uh, be a credible alternative to Angular, React, and all those technologies. Yeah, are open it, it absolutely needs to be. The libraries yeah. that people depend on are open. They can maintain them. They, you know, they, they've got control yeah. of them. I can see there's a lot of forks of open silver so people clearly are grabbing onto it mm. yeah but right. uh, but then if, they, if they want the service they've got the service and that that may, that's the modern sort of open source professional services model Giovanni, yeah, are so you able to keep up with the demand for um uh, uh migrations or is the waiting list long do you need help uh, <laughs> yeah we need help uh, and uh, if there are um, people out there listening uh, who would like to to help, please contact us because uh, we have many, many companies who are asking us to uh, help them migrate. And so nice. uh, that's great news for us. That's our business model. And while we do the migration, we also improve the, the software. So the, it's a benefit for everyone. Right. Um, and 
uh, and yes, if there are IT services company that want to contact us, please feel free to do that. And also reaching out to people at Microsoft if they're listening to this podcast to uh, to to get in touch with us, and we will be uh, very happy to uh, uh, to join forces for the benefit of all .NET developers. Excellent. <laughs> So what's next for OpenSilver? Like what isn't built yet? Right. Um, so we have migrated many apps and for now we have been choosing the, the, the apps that um, used. Uh, so it's a very progressive approach where uh, we have been migrating apps since 2014. So back mm-hmm. then it was not WebAssembly. It was, uh, we have this other, uh, this sister project, which is called CS HTML5, CS HTML5, mm-hmm. which um, compiles C sharp XAML to JavaScript and HTML. Right. And, um, right. And so, um, we've been migrating apps using that technology. And then we were being able to use the same stack, the, the one that uh, does the binding between XAML and HTML, uh, and just replace the underlying technology, uh, with, uh, WebAssembly. So we had, we have this bridge.net amazing technology, which compiles C sharp to JavaScript that is using the other product, CSS 2.5. And um, we have replaced that with uh, the WebAssembly counterpart from uh, from Blazor. And so uh, we have kept the, the XAML layer from that. And uh, so we have been migrating for many years. And initially, we only took the smaller apps. And now we, have, we are addressing very, very large apps, as, an, as I mentioned. And so uh, right now, we are, uh, for example, working to, um, uh, to make the um, third-party components uh, work uh, as expected. So for example, uh, Telerik UI for Civilite is um, it's great, great component library. And we cannot wait to uh, be able to uh, fully support it on, on OpenSea. For now, we have been able to um, <coughs> make the most um, the, the simpler controls work great, and now we are working on the data grid and uh, more complex controls, and um, also open RIA services. So RIA mm-hmm. services, oh, yeah, um, RIA services. Yeah, it was used by a lot of apps uh, back then, mm. and uh, now it has um, been open sourced by Microsoft and uh, renamed into Open RIA services. And because they have a .NET standard version of it, uh, we have been able to uh, um, to uh, import it into uh, OpenSilver projects uh, relatively easy. So we are working on this to make sure that it really works great. Um, and then uh, improving performance as well. So we are waiting for uh, ahead of time compilation to be available to uh, have a performance be improved by. Uh, our tests show that it can improve by 30 to 50 times compared to the current implementation. Wow. So if, yeah. So if you open, if you use OpenSilver now, uh, it's totally usable, uh, but you will, um, you may notice that performance is not uh, the best yet. And you need to know that it's going to be um, drastically improved uh, in the future with ahead of time compilation and other optimizations that yeah. Microsoft team is working on. Well, Giovanni, you know, I put my okay. IT hat on right now because end of support for Silverlight for is October 12th, 2021. And in January of 2020, they dropped support for IE 10. So you're down to one browser that will run traditional Silverlight and it's IE 11. And I know right. there are IT shops out there maintaining IE inside of their organization because of certain applications and it's Silverlight would be one of them. You know, that they, and they literally, there's all these hoops you jump through to make sure you're running the right browser for the right app. So they, there's got to be some pressure there. We've got, you know, a year and a bit before Silverlight's fully out of support. Now it's not going to burst into flames at that point, but sooner or later, 
you're not going to be able to run the plugin anywhere. Like eventually this is going to happen. These apps need to be migrated. That's why you're slammed with migrations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but we uh, our, our vision is also to enable the creation of new apps uh, because sure. uh, right now, if you want to create a C-sharp XAML app uh, for uh, uh, for the browser that runs client-side, you don't have many choices, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so uh, there are like more than a million .NET developers out there, and a lot of them uh, know XAML and uh, li- like XAML. A lot. Well, I think about our comment at the beginning of the show with John. He's like, when I'm in WPF, I'm more comfortable, right? right. Like, I, I get XAML. It's, it's a fluency. So, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. to be able to do a client-side in the browser, zero deploy app, writing in XAML and C-sharp. Yeah. Yeah, XAML is amazing. Yeah. Very powerful. So, Giovanni, um, if you ever think about changing the name of OpenSilver, I have an alternative. <laughs> yeah. Frankensilver. <laughs> <laughs> because aren't you reanimating old dead Silverlight applications and bringing them to life? It's alive! <laughs> <laughs> well, officially it's never dead, but uh, Silverlight yeah. is still there, though it's going to be... Oh, it was pining for the fjords for a while there, but <laughs> things were tough. This is an X application! <laughs> <laughs> so for me, uh, I hope uh, we'll one day we'll look at the past and we'll say there was a pause like there was a pause <laughs> for yeah. a few years uh, waiting for WebAssembly to be there yep. and then Slide uh, got again. Thank you Steve Sanders. No, I, pre- I, pre- I, I respect protecting a body of work right yeah. like in that, you know I deal with a lot of big enterprises and, and they have this body of work and the cost of rewriting those applications is not trivial mm. you know that's a very difficult thing to consider and the people that were working on them years ago They've either they have moved on, or they're definitely focused on other skills. So right. getting them migrated into something that people can understand is very valuable. Oh, it's a good time to be a .NET developer. I where did the Scottish guy come from? What's up with that? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just feeling happy. I'm feeling happy yeah, about the I'm state about of this, development but... and all of these yeah. things WebAssembly makes possible in in Blazor and uh, now Silver. Enables. Oh my God! So awesome. Yeah, very exciting. Well, Giovanni. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Go ahead. <clears throat> yeah, I was going to say that um, rewrites, as you said, are, are really uh, expensive. They're risky. Uh, are, they're not necessarily visible benefits for the mm-hmm. clients, the users. There's no guarantee that the rewrite will be uh, will be uh, better. And um, uh, we really, at UserWare, we are not, uh, we don't like reinventing the wheel, like no. uh, changing for the sake of changing. And every couple of years, there is something new that appears. But what we want to do is uh, stick with something that was great at the time, so light. And as I said, it didn't die because it wasn't good. It, it just died because the plugin system was no longer there. But right. it really was an amazing technology. And we want to stick with it. And we don't want to invent something new. Uh, and um, so let's do that together and uh, make sure that Civil Light uh, can live a very long time. Love it. Absolutely. Giovanni, thank you. Thank you for your work and thanks for uh, being here with us to, to tell the world. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was really a honor. I've been listening to the podcast and uh, now being part of it is really, really great. And you're doing a fantastic job with, the, right. with this. So I hope you, uh, you will continue for many, many years and congratulations, really. <laughs> well, you're so welcome. It's a pleasure for us to come to work and do this every, every week. 
And thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.